the book of John. As you're turning there, I remember the story of a mother who was ironing while her little son was on the floor drawing pictures. And the mother asked him, son, what are you drawing? And he said, I'm drawing a picture of God. Well, his mom said, well, you know, how can you do that? Nobody knows what God looks like. To which the son replied, well, they will when I get finished. You know? <laughs> so uh, many have tried to draw a picture of God to maybe help people understand what we talked about last week, which was the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity is really a brief way of saying tri-unity, three in one. Uh, and we don't have time to go into that again, obviously, uh, tonight, because we want to move on. So last week we looked at how Jesus is God in the first three verses of John's Gospel. So uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, why don't we just all read that together uh, before we start. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for this evening. We thank You that we have Your Word. It's available to us. And Lord, we can take the time to to study it and learn more about you, learn more about ourselves, uh, Father. But we want to, this evening, draw closer to you, Lord, and just spend time in your word together. We pray that you just bless our time of study. In Jesus' name, amen. So each of these word statements in verses 1 and 2 are connected. Uh, they're given to us to describe to us who the word is. And I believe that if we take each word statement in those first two verses and we connect them to verse 3, we further confirm what's being said. So let's take a look at that. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and with verse 3 all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And the Word was with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And the Word was God, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So what is the focus here in these first three verses? It's the word, right? That's, that's the word that we see predominant in those verses. It's the character or person being talked about, and it is the word. We know from Genesis 1-1, as we've looked at even the past two weeks, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In that verse, God is the main character or person in that verse, right? But here in John, verses 1 and 2, the Word is also the main character or person. And what, is, what do those verses say about the Word? The Word was in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you might ask, how is it that we refer to the Word as a character or a person? Well, because of verses 2 and 3. If you just read a little farther, it says the word is referred to as he in verse 2 and him in verse 3. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. He and him. You see it? By letting the text interpret the text in context we get to the simple truth of what God is, what this word, word is, is saying. So we will 
be looking at these first five verses of John in four parts. And those parts are Jesus is God, Jesus is the Word, Jesus is life, and Jesus is light. Jesus is God, Jesus is the Word, Jesus is life, and Jesus is light. Now last week we looked at Jesus is God. Tonight we're going to be looking at Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. I want you to turn in your Bibles to, to three places. Hold your place in John, and we're going to go to two other places. So John 1, also turn to 1 John 1, which is clear in the back, <laughs> in front of Revelation. So 1 John and then also Revelation chapter 19. Those three places. John, first chapter. First John, first chapter. And Revelation chapter 19. Now in each of these verses, the Greek word logos is being used. This translation is very rich in meaning for us. So in all four of these verses that we're going to reference here, you're going to see the word, word, and it means, or the Greek translation of that is logos, and we're going to take a good look at what that means. So first of all, John 1, verse 1, we've read it already this evening, in the beginning was the word, logos, and the word, logos, was with God, and the word, logos, was God. So in all three of those cases, the Greek word for word is logos. Look at verse 14, same chapter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Word again, logos. Now this gives us great insight into the first verse, doesn't it? The same word in the Greek is being used in all four places, then we can safely interpret that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Now, I think most of us that have studied the Bible are aware of that, but this is just more confirmation for us. So in John's use of the Word, this Logos, John may have even gotten this from the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So by the word of the Lord, it says in that verse. This verse represents the word of God as a person. Whatever the source of the thought that led John to so designate word as Christ in these verses, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, we know, and it was perfectly appropriate. A word in the meaning of the term is a vessel for the conveyance of an idea. That, that might be a Webster's uh, definition of that. Um, and Christ was the vessel which conveyed the true idea of God to humanity. So we got to see God through Jesus Christ when, he, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. As Jesus stated in John chapter 14, verse 9, he hath, that has seen me hath seen the Father. Jesus is saying there, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Logos, 
Stay with me on this. It was a philosophical term that was used in Jewish, Greek, and Roman intellectual circles. So to the Greek mind, logos is what lies behind the universe and maintains order. In the Jewish mind, logos means creation that took place through the spoken word of God. So in the Greek world, logos was the order of the universe, the ordering principle in the universe, uh, the omnipresent wisdom by which all things are guided or steered. That's the way they looked at it. But in the Jewish world, Logos explained what God did by his word. His word was responsible for everything. God was the initiator of creation and everything that happened afterwards by what he spoke and it came to pass. So John, in using the word Logos, was right on target with his target audience because to the, both the Jew and the Greek, Logos conveyed the idea of uh, beginning. So Logos, the word God speaking and God's action. Now during the 400 silent years, as we refer to them, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we know that that was called the silent years because there was no prophet of God in place, no one speaking on behalf of God for that 400 years. So the Jews of the day, as we start the New Testament, the Jews of that day were waiting for what? They were waiting for the Word of God or a Word of God. John introduces his gospel by saying, you're waiting for a Word from God? Here is the Word Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's premise is that the most important Word, the Word itself, is Jesus. We could easily substitute Word in these verses with Jesus. Look at John 1 again, and we'll read that. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. You wouldn't be doing the text any injustice whatsoever to substitute the word word, the logos, with Jesus' name. So saying that Jesus was the creator would have been very disturbing to the Jews and it would have been very disturbing to the Greeks as well. So hold your place in John. You can let those other verses go. Hold your place in John and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross." Verse 9, therefore, God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him, Jesus, the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Now that passage, that scripture 
I could just end on that, couldn't I? I mean, it's, it's a glorious passage. It, it encompasses everything that we know about Jesus Christ and everything that we believe about him. So we could just end it right there, but let's take a deeper look at Jesus, the word. So if you like to take notes, we're going to look at this Jesus is the word in four parts this evening. We're going to look at Jesus is the eternal word. Jesus is the creative slash spoken word. Jesus is the written slash working word. And number four, Jesus is the living word. So you can see it's up on the screen so you guys can write those down. Jesus is the eternal word. Jesus is the creative spoken word. Jesus is the written working word. And Jesus is the uh, living word. So number one, Jesus is the eternal word. Jesus said in Revelation 1.11, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first, and the last. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. That word tells us that. So Jesus has always been and always will be. So his word then has always been and always will be. Since Jesus has always been and always will be, his word always, has always been and always will be. He also says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his word then is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust in that. So Jesus is the eternal word, beginning and end, first and last. Uh, one of our daughters, uh, whose name I won't mention, when she was growing up, uh, she always had to have the last word. Does anybody else have one like that or have experienced one of those? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say her name. She knows who she is. Well, Jesus, as God, if you look in Scripture, he has the first word in the Bible and he has the last word in the Bible. He, he's the eternal word. How does he have the first word in the Bible? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you read on what took place there, let there be whatever. And then in Revelation, we see in the, uh, the last verse in the book of Revelation, he's speaking there as well. So he has the first word and he has the last word. He is the eternal word. Number two, Jesus is the creative spoken word. The creative spoken word. In our lives, we make promises and we make commitments and we give people our word, don't we? Like I tell you, hey, we're going to get through the first chapter of John before Christmas. You have my word on it. Well, we may, we may not. I don't know if I can give you that, that word. So even though we like to stay true to our word, we like to let our yes be yes and our no be no, as the scripture says, we don't always do that, do we? Sometimes we fall short in that because circumstances change, things come up, whatever. We aren't always able to give people our word and, and hold to it. We can't do it with 100% assurance all the time. 
We, we break our word. We fall short on that. But uh, one thing that is constant with God and Jesus, who is God, as we know, if he says it, it happens. Right? We see that throughout Scripture. If God says it, it's going to take place. It's going to happen 100% all the time. So in the beginning was the word. Genesis 1.1 again says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So verse 1 tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. Then the rest of chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis tell us how he did it. Remember, this is Jesus speaking as the creator, as God. He said, let there be, and it came to pass. What God says to happen, happens. What God says will happen, happens. God's word is truth. It's powerful. It's trustworthy. We, we can count on it. It will not fail. John 1, 1 again, in the beginning was the word. Simply put for us in context, in the beginning God spoke and it happened. In the Old Testament, they believed that once a word was spoken, it could never be taken back. It, what was said was said, and it was, that was it. It just went out there. You know how we've even seen in the news, even recently, someone will post something on Facebook or, or on Twitter, and all of a sudden it just <clears throat> compounds itself and just goes out there, and it's hard to pull that back. You know, I don't know if you've experienced it, but there's been times in my life when I've said something, and it's almost like I could just see it kind of hanging out there in front of me, you know, as I said it. And you know, ah, I want to pull that back in. I don't want that to get out and stay out. But uh, with God, what he says, he says, and that's that. And it carries on throughout all of eternity because his word is eternal. So the Jews believed that once a word was spoken, it was expelled out, if you will, into the universe, and it would never fade away, even if there was no one to hear it. For us, words once said to us or about us, it remains in our minds too, doesn't it, for a long time. Most of us here probably still remember the statements that our parents made to us when we were kids. They could still be fresh in our memories, you know, from that, like, hey, you're going to break your neck. You know, you guys probably remember that one. I, I'm, or, hey, you're going to poke your eye out. That's another one. We remember that. I remember that uh, being said by my parents. Or, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, remember that one. You probably don't want to say that one in public anymore. You know, that was, that was for another time, you know, when you could get away with that. Or how about this one? Eat everything on your plate. Don't you know there are children starving in Africa? Which I always wondered, how does my eating everything on my plate help children in Africa? I don't, I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Or don't cross your eyes, they may stay that way. You know? I did that all the time. My eyes never stayed that way. Or make sure you wear clean underwear in case you get in a car accident. How many of you have heard that one? I mean, <laughs> that one, uh, I know, too much information. But it's one of the things I remember from my parents. But words spoken by God in the Old Testament thousands of years ago are just as vital and as fresh as, as, as the, you know, then as they are today. His words never fail. His words continue on. His words are fresh and new every morning. So in the theology of the creation story, God created this universe by his thought, by 
his meaning, his spoken word. Let there be, and it happened. Jesus is the creative spoken word. Number three, Jesus is also the written working word. Uh, in John chapter 20, we looked at this verse the first Saturday that we were here, uh, verses 30 and 31. It says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, everything that John's written up to this point, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. How many of you here like to watch movies? I, I, I like to watch movies, not, not all of them, obviously, but there's a problem with Hollywood in that, uh, for myself, I, I really like the, the true movies, movies that are based on a true story. They, they capture me a lot more than some of the others. But I like to watch movies that are based on true stories. The problem with Hollywood is, as we all know, that they have a tendency to take creative liberties even with a true storyline, and they like to embellish it, don't they? Well, the Word of God, the written, working Word of God, never does this. Get this. It is an exact documentation of actual events that took place in the interaction between God and His creation, God and the people He created, the life of Jesus Christ, His Son, and the church that Christ uh, established. The words of Christ are not truth simply because they're in the Bible. See, we get that backwards sometimes, don't we? We say the Bible is God's word. Well, you never see the term the Bible in the Bible. <laughs> it's not in there anywhere except on the front cover, maybe in the first couple pages or whatever. The word of God is the Bible. The words of Christ are not truth simply because they're in the Bible. Rather, they are in the Bible because they are truth. This takes everything back to the truth himself, which is Jesus Christ. The written word represents Jesus Christ. And since the Bible rightly represents Jesus Christ, then this means that the Bible is the written truth, the written word of God. God didn't give his written word as a substitute for Jesus Christ. Rather, he gave it as a written representation of Jesus Christ and his plan and purpose through him. So when we read the Bible, uh, we are reading a written parallel to the person of Jesus Christ. This is why everything in the Bible will always agree with the person of Christ. And the person of Christ will never manifest in any way that which is out of harmony with, with the written word. So they're joined together. The written word that we have is in complete harmony and unity with Jesus Christ because it is Jesus Christ is the author. So the Bible is a description of that revelation. In other words, the Bible describes Jesus Christ. The Bible describes the truth. God uses that description in his revelation of Christ. Jesus Christ himself is the written word. The written word is truth, telling the truth about the truth. Let me say that again. The written word is the truth, telling the truth about the truth. Isaiah 55:11 says, "So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth; it shall not return to me void, 
but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So God says here that my word does not return void. We quote that scripture a lot. We, uh, when we are sharing the gospel with someone and we quote scriptures, we know that it doesn't return void, that it will accomplish a work of some kind or another based on what God wants it to accomplish. So it's a written word and it's also a working word. God says it won't return to me void. He also says it shall accomplish what I please. So he has his written word that goes forth to accomplish a purpose. It isn't just words being spoken for no reason. It's for a purpose. And it also says it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So God Anytime God speaks, God is speaking with a purpose to accomplish something. So as we study, as we read, as we go through God's word, it has a purpose, even as we gather here tonight. We will have, by the time we finish uh, the first four weeks of this study through John, we're probably going to have John 1 memorized, I would say. I mean, in the beginning was the word, The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, You go over that enough times. It's pretty easy to remember, isn't it? And so we'll be able to use that as we witness to others, as we share with others, because God sent that Word out to us for a purpose. It's not just a Word that's just hanging out there that, oh, that's a nice Word. I don't want to take the time to remember it. But it's it's serving a purpose, and it's going to prosper in the very thing for which God sent it. So Jesus spoke the word, the word did its work, it did its work in the life of the ones that hear it and in the lives through the ones that hear it. God's word is twofold for us in that it impacts us so that we can use it to do what? Impact others. We hear it, we receive it, it's ingrained in our hearts and then we're able to use that same word to minister to someone else. It did and still does a work in us and through us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So there's a promise in that for us, that as we use God's word in relating to others, it will be effective. We might not see the fruit of it immediately. We might not see the fruit of it for a long time. We may never see the fruit of it ourselves, but it will be effective at some point in time. So we can, we can trust in that. Jesus is the written, working word. Number four. Jesus is the living word. Turn, if you will, hold your place in John. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4. And this is a verse you're probably all familiar with. It's verse 12, Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
The Word of God is living and powerful. We don't have to question whether or not there is a living Word. This answers it, doesn't it? For the Word of God is living and it's also powerful. So God's Word being proclaimed to someone else has life in it. It's living, it's breathing, and it's powerful. It's able to change the hearts of men and women. But it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Think about that for a second. Again, you go back to any of the movies we've seen where there's a, a battle. And suppose you have a sword that's only sharp on one side. You know, and it's just dull on the other side. And you take a swing like this, you might do some damage. And then you swing back like this and it's, you know, not much is going to happen. It's, it's dull. It's not accomplishing the work that it's meant to accomplish because it's not sharp on both sides. But God's Word is. Think of it this way. No matter how we swing God's Word, no matter how we use it, whatever we're doing with it, it's sharp on both sides. It accomplishes the purpose that it's supposed to accomplish. It's living. It's powerful. It's, it's sharp. Jesus Himself is not only the living Word, but he also brings to us life. It's a living word that also brings life to, to us, living in us for eternity because we know his word's eternal. It works in us. We trust in that. It brings life to us, and we have that life for eternity. Turn back to John and flip over to chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 66. John chapter 6. Verse 66. It says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter says here two things. You have the words of eternal life. And you are the word of eternal life. Where else can we go? Because he is life eternal and he brings life eternal. Eternal life is available for us, just like it was for Peter and the rest of the disciples. The, the depth of what Peter is saying there is just huge. Lord, where, where else will we go? Where can we go? Because you and you alone have the words of eternal life. So Jesus is living. Jesus gives life. His word reveals it. Therefore, his word is living and, and life-giving. So in closing tonight, turn to 1 John chapter 5. So chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life.
These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So what do these verses say as we break them down? There is eternal life available to us. This opportunity for eternal life is in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, then you don't have eternal life. It's pretty straightforward. But the good news is this, that we still have the opportunity to take care of that, right? Right now, right here, tonight. So His living Word brings life in us. It's available to us. Jesus is living. Jesus gives life. His Word reveals it. Therefore, his, his word is living, giving life to all of us. Let's pray.